Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Selwyn Avenue Presbyterian Church's podcast, the thing we're calling Faith Lab. We are gathered here this morning with some members of Selwyn Avenue as we continue our conversation about faith and money. What this conversation is not is any sort of formula or, or clear answers on how we as people of faith are meant to approach our decision-making about money. But what we hope to do is have an honest conversation about um, what it means to be a person of faith and live in a world that, that is mostly centered around money, even though we don't like to talk about that very much. So what I'd like to do is introduce the good folks that are here with us, or maybe I'll ask you guys to introduce yourselves. If you could tell the listeners who you are and maybe something about your membership at Selwyn, um, like who you're married to or how long you've been there with us. Um, and maybe what you, miss, maybe a good question is what do you miss about the church or what have you learned about the church um, since we've been apart from each other for all these months as a result of the pandemic? I'll ask Jamie Yearwood to kick us off. Hey, thanks, Lori. So I'm Jamie, and um, we, my husband and I have been members for coming up on, I think, six years. My husband's JD, and we have three little girls, um, Emmy, Hattie, and Annie. They're ages five, three, and one, so busy household. Um, and I think the main thing we miss is just uh, being able to come worship with the girls. Obviously, I'm sure that's what most of us would say, just seeing smiling faces on Sunday and you all have been doing a great job um, keeping worship going for us, but we, we just miss seeing our church friends. Thank you. Yeah, I definitely miss seeing everybody too. How about John Lemon and Susan Lemon? I agree with Jamie that um, we really miss seeing people in person, um, you know, just hanging around a little bit outside the church after worship um, and seeing our Sunday school class, you know, the, the small groups have been very important. Um, but, you know, even though um, we're not seeing the, these people in person, we're seeing them in the worship service at, on the chat room and we're seeing our Sunday school class twice a month by Zoom. And that really, really helps me to remain connected and I really think that the church is probably the most important anchor for me during um, COVID. Um, this is Susan. Um, John and I have been in the church more than 30 years. Our boys were one and four when we started coming. <clears throat> and we're grandparents now. And so we have loved um, being through all the different changes. But um, we miss the people too very much. But I've, I've always been reminded from teaching Sunday school to children years ago that the church is not a building. The church is a people, and I think we're doing pretty well with that. Yeah, thank you for that reminder. You all have some street cred with 30 years under your belt, so I'm glad you're here with us. Uh, and Gazelle Johnson and her husband, Andy Johnson, are here also. Um, hey, everyone, this is Gazelle. Um, Andy and I joined the church right before we got married, um, which was in 2003. And um, we have two kids, Alex and Melanie, who both have been baptized at Selwyn. Alex and I actually got baptized together in 2006. 
And um, I would say um, for me, kind of just piggybacking off of the same thread, um, you know, it's, a, I think I, 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 I miss the, the chatter, like the informal conversations. It's so wonderful to have the ritual and the opportunity to still, um, you know, engage with everybody through worship and, and all the other opportunities, um, like the summer book club, it was really special. Um, but you kind of forget what you pick up on just regular, how was your week kind of conversations that happen. And um, hopefully, um, when we get back to being able to do all of that, um, you know, just a reminder not to take it for granted, because uh, it's been um, a little bit of a hole. Yeah, yeah this, this is Andy Johnson. I also think we've come to realize we missed somewhat the ceremony and just the gathering for service. And then for our kids, I think some of the youth group activities, you know, uh, it's nice to have a place for them to go Sunday evening. And then some of the trips and activities they would organize, um, you know, I don't think you really realize what a good experience that is until it's not available. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's we're kind of becoming apparent to us what the church really means to us once you take those activities away. I do think that's true, Andy. And as people of faith, I think most of us who are committed at Selwyn, our lives are shaped by the rhythm of what it means to come together whatever way we do, whether it's on Sunday, you know, Sunday for worship or in, in other ways, and those have been pulled away from us uh, in, tradition, in our traditional ways of, of being together. And, and so now that we're in the middle of what we call our stewardship season, I do think we've invited people to think about, well, why does the church matter? Why do we center our lives uh, as people around worship together and prayer together and fellowship together? And perhaps our distance from one another is making the answers a little bit more clear than they have been in the past when we were distracted by all the other parts of our lives. And so, um, Andy Johnson, you've been really involved as an elder with the stewardship um, campaign, not, this, not just this year, but the last couple years. And so maybe before we get into the conversations about um, ourselves, do you, do you mind sharing a little bit about what that's been like, just thinking about stewardship on behalf of Selwyn this year? Yeah, so it's, it's been really interesting, um, definitely getting a front row seat to how the church um, handles outreach and, and attracting donations and, and retaining people's interest. And also, I think how the church thinks about um, planning and budgeting I mean, for one thing, I think it's amazing what the church can accomplish with, frankly, pretty limited financial resources. And this is not a mega church. We don't have mega donors. Uh, and so it, it's pretty inspiring, to be honest. Um, and, and then just kind of the, the, just within a small population, frankly, a super wide range of the way people interact. Some, some people just are not, um, you know, uh, aren't active pledgers and, and don't, donate, but are, but are super involved in the church and, and give in other ways. And other people are just incredibly generous. So it's just a huge spectrum that, that I didn't realize until you get a little bit uh, into the weeds. Um, and then it is tough to try to distill the church's message down to like a, a catchy soundbite or a campaign slogan and try to convey what's a pretty complex and it got even much more complex this year, you know, relationship and tying that back to giving and stewardship. And then just all the ways that budget impacts what the church can really do. I mean, all the things you think of as a church uh, really come into focus when you have to put a budget together and, you know, apply limited 
uh, resource like money and really decide on things like priorities and tying that back to the church's mission and, and the partners in the community and inward facing initiatives. So it's been, it's been very interesting in my experience to, to really understand what motivates people and, and ultimately what the church has to, to work with and, and what's successful and what's not when you try to motivate people to give a little more, to get more participation in a campaign and try to tie people's uh, you know, desires and goals back to the monetary giving. Right, thank you for that. Yeah, I do think people find their way to Selwyn or called to membership at Selwyn because there's something about our congregation that is authentic and interested in being connected to one another and God in, like, in real ways, in tangible ways, that ways that aren't that shiny, that aren't really sound bites, you know, but like deep rooted, deep threaded relationships. And so when then we, then when we start talking about stewardship, um, it's, it's sometimes hard to articulate what stewardship is really about within a month, yeah. you know? And so this conversation is, is a way for us to have the deeper conversation about what stewardship really is in terms of a spiritual call in practice that doesn't just happen in October, but happens every day when we open our checkbooks or pull out our ATM card, or, you know, or make family decisions about um, where our priorities lie. I'm wondering, I asked this question last week with our staff, what were you taught as a child about money? Um, this is Susan. Um, I'm the daughter of a minister and a teacher. And the teacher stayed home a lot of years to take care of us as we grew up. So based on their backgrounds and they were children of the depression, I was taught that it's very important and even virtuous to live below your means. So that makes it easy to do, I think, more things with what money you have. This is Jamie. Um, you know, I listened to the Faith Lab last week where the staff were talking about this subject. And I think it was Ashley and what she said really resonated with me. You know, money was kind of a stressor growing up. We didn't really talk about it. Um, my parents, it wasn't just open, an open subject to talk about. Um, but I grew up Catholic, so I was used to seeing my dad put the offering envelope in every week. So even if we were stressed about money, we were always putting the offering envelope in. It was just the tradition when you went to church, you drop that in. So that was something that I picked up on when I was younger. Yeah, this is Gazelle. Um, you know, I would, I would say a couple things that stand out from my childhood as it relates to money. One is that um, my parents were self-employed. And so I think that I had this appreciation for kind of this um, feast or famine mentality because their business kind of went with the market. And so I don't, I think they did a really great job of always wanting to shield us from ever noticing where there was ebbs and flows and kind of trying to keep things pretty steady state. And it wasn't until I think I got older and could understand and appreciate where there were ebbs and flows. And I think a lot of that is because they were pretty consistent with how they treated money. So regardless if there was an ever a flow, whether it was, you know, but the, finding the resources to support our family or finding resources to support other things that were important to them, um, they did. And I think that it was therefore something that um, 
edit necessarily kind of similar, Jamie, to what you just said, like we didn't really talk about it. Um, so it, it was, but I think that their actions were kind of more of what I tried to model in terms of recognizing that, um, you know, you come up with your priorities and what's um, relevant and you kind of just try to stick to that. Uh, this is John Lemon and I was always uh, aware that, you know, money is an important thing in the world, but it was not the most important thing. Uh, that, that things like family relationships, you know, morals and ethics and values were all more important than money. But I saw that money could be very useful in advancing things you really believed in. Um, obviously, it, it can help your family, but it can also help um, out in the world and help uh, make the world a better place. And, and I saw that in um, uh, there was a preschool or is a preschool in Raleigh for uh, children with developmental disabilities. And my parents were very involved with it because um, they had a child and I had a brother who had Down syndrome. And um, they ended up working very hard and the congregation that my father was the minister of worked very hard to start a preschool um, for children. Um, and then they named it after my brother. And I just saw their dedication to that uh, outreach and to the church and just saw that, you know, money can really be a tool to advance the kingdom of God and make the world um, a better place and, and more like a kind of place Jesus would want us to be living in. and story. Can you tell me the name of your brother again? Frankie Lemon. Frank. My father was Frank, Frank Lemon and he was Frankie Lemon. And um, he was just, the he was the glue that held our, held our family together. Um, and uh, just a, a wonderful um, child and, and brother and son. Um, What's striking about the story about the school, John, is the incarnational way that people with their finances, you know, made something real happen that left and that impacted your family and several other children beyond, beyond the day when they wrote their check, you know, and it leads me to think a little bit about Montclair Elementary School and the commitment that our church has made to uh, our friends and neighbors and children uh, at that school. Andy, you've been helping us through COVID figure out how to help some of those families and those children have access to learning. And I want, I'm not putting, I am putting you on the spot. I don't mind it. But what has that been like for you? you know, yeah. I can hear John tell his story about his brother Frankie can you hear some of the similarities? Sure. Um, Montclair is very interesting to me. I, I think the church's relationship goes far, far back and is far deeper than I'll ever be able to 
you know, properly reflect. And, and I certainly am a latecomer to it, but um, the, the, the situations that those kids are in are, are frankly pretty hard for us to ever wrap our heads around because we'll, we'll never be in those situations. I mean, they are in some cases um, bouncing around from home to home, relatives are watching over them because their parents aren't in the country, are pretty much always living in fear of deportation or not eligible for any kind of you know, government program. So you have a kind of perpetually uh, almost like fugitive mindset sometimes that we're definitely trying to help. So you have some of the neediest people and I'm always struck by sometimes how unfair it is that a school at the end of the day has to solve this societal problem or, or lifestyle problem for these children who, you know, they're, they're kids, they have no ability or, or resources on their own to, to answer some of these fundamental needs. So, so on the one hand, the need is striking and it, it kind of cuts to the core of what would you hope to change to make the world a better place? It, it's situations like this, what can I do? Um, and it helps really focus um, the, the mission of the church. And we went out and looked for a partner that could help organize and answer you know, many of their needs. It's everything from educational to, to food, to safety, to enrichment. Um, so we have a great nonprofit partner and you know, they're very inspiring. They're very Selwyn-like in their ability to do a lot with limited resources. You know, they're, they're a fantastically efficient organization. Um, they had just have a very long track record of, of helping kids in a similar situation. So it's, it's inspiring to me to, to be presented like a tangible answer to what can I do to make this better? Uh, and not just be felt like, well, this is so frustrating. There's nothing I can do. Nothing I do could ever make a difference here. And you, you get story after story of kids who get, you know, uh, a pantry full of food or a safe place to study or, uh, you know, a, a smile of accomplishment at overcoming a challenge at school and, and aligning some resources. You know, it's beyond just tutoring, it's uh, arranging enrichment programs and, and then watching them pivot to a remote model. So they, they worked on ways to continue delivering food to them. Uh, and then Selwyn really helped step up when uh, the program's called Greater Enrichment Program, the nonprofit was looking for a place to host the kids so they could pull them out of their home environments, which are not very productive. Technology is pretty lacking and, and give them a, at least a decent shot at doing remote learning in a productive manner and to have some of that enrichment surround them. Um, so I've been very inspired by that. Uh, again, like the financial commitment to make that happen, it's far less than you would think. I mean, it almost doesn't seem possible how little money they need to do things like that, but it makes such a big difference uh, in these kids' lives. So to me, that's like a great example of how stewardship you know, the easy thing to get excited about is the mission part of stewardship, like watching that translate into not only monetary donations, but just aligning the church's resources. Like we have a facility that can host the kids. We have staff who can spend some time supporting greater enrichment program. And because we have a nice facility with wireless and space to spread out, like we can support kids in that situation um, where if we hadn't had a, a, a consistent stewardship campaign, I don't think we'd have the facilities or the the staff resources to be in that situation. So, so we're fortunate enough to see that we have it and we can apply it and help those kids, which is great. Yeah, it's, it's been a joy for, for me to walk that with our elders over this summer who've worked really hard to, to, make, to make that happen. When Jamie, when you were talking and Gazelle, you also as, as mothers of, of young children, um, you were talking about what you learned as as children about money and, and you both, you both learned about money through watching your parents. They, it's not like, as if you talked a whole lot about it, it doesn't sound like, 
but you watched them manage their money or make decisions about money. How do you teach your children about money and giving and stewardship? And what's, what's hard about that? I struggle with it as a mom. I have two children, one's 13, one's 14. And in, we are white affluent people, all of us at Selwyn are. And so we, we have skewed, a skewed idea about um, our money and our privilege. And my kids get what they need. They, without much question, they usually get what they want. And I often wrestle with how I'm raising them to have a healthy relationship with money through faith. And I'm probably not doing enough. <laughs> yeah, I, I'll, I'll be happy to go first. Um, this is Gazelle. And um, I'm eager to hear what Jamie has to say because hopefully she's getting it right with somewhat younger kids and I'll learn something from her. Um, so, um, so, you know, I struggle with this in regard because I feel like we, I, I try to emphasize this idea of um, obviously paying it forward and we do have the access to tons of resources. And I think I learned in one of our Sunday school classes this idea of how God's given us everything we need here on earth. And it's a matter of like how we all share it with each other. And so it's not necessarily like I'm giving to you and you're receiving it, but rather I'm sharing a resource with you because God's given it to me to be able to share it with you. And I've tried to shift my mentality in some ways about thinking about this idea of shared resources. And I think where I struggle sometimes is trying to almost apply too many rules. I think my kids are probably tired of me talking about giving. <laughs> Um, and I've, I've given them giving fatigue sometimes because we are kind of trying to make it this practice of generosity and kindness. And if you kind of get into that practice of generosity and kindness, it becomes just more core to who you are. Um, but I also think it's really hard because I can't manufacture a hard environment for them. I can't all of a sudden create a situation of scarcity where they're then having to figure out how to divvy up resources and make it work and then ensure that they're still taking into consideration um, people or, or, or even, you know, institutions that are less um, fortunate. And therefore, I think we have to be super intentional about it, um, which is why I think practice and ritual helps because it almost addresses this idea of not being able to just manufacture something hard for them and hoping that they then overcome it. Um, I do like to believe that through that, they're learning how to make it a um, part of their day-to-day but I'm also trying to find the balance of they need to also come up with what's important to them and figure out how they can um, just as easily adopt those habits. And it doesn't necessarily have to be because it's something that's personal to me, but something that's personal for them. And I'm hoping that with, um, again, like seeing those role models around them, whether it's here or really many other places, get them into the mindset of doing that as they continue to get older and older and, and fingers crossed, it will, uh, you know, kind of manifest itself in that way. But I, I do think it's, it's a challenge and we have to kind of be pretty intentional about it. Right. Right. Thank you. Jamie, you've got little bitty. So <laughs> I was going to say, I don't know, Gazelle, if you're going to learn anything from me. <laughs> it sounds like you are, you guys are doing a great job. Um, you know, I think with our oldest only being five, we're really just starting to dabble into, you know, teaching them about what money even is. Um, but I would say, you know, 
I think a lot of it is leading by example and trying to participate in activities that model generosity. Um, you know, one example from church that we have participated in throughout the summer was the lunches for um, our, our friends at A Roof Above um, and Urban Ministries. And that I think was really one of the first things that we did with the girls that they, you know, they helped us make the sandwiches and they helped us assemble everything. And, you know, they, it was the first time, especially our oldest really was asking questions about where are we taking these or who is going to eat these? And so it was a teaching, a teachable moment for her um, and just starting to think about generosity and, and how we can share what we do have with others and, you know, treat others the way we want to be treated. You know, we love having a home and food and, and basic things that Andy, you know, mentioned that some of our friends down at Montclair don't have access to. So how can we, you know, show our children that, um, that we are lucky and, you know, we, we are, have been blessed with a lot and what can we give to others, you know, to, to treat them the way that we would, to be able to give them access to things that we would want. So we're, we're just getting started. <laughs> I know for, for us, we do try to intentionally build relationships with families and friends that, that live differently, uh, have different rituals, uh, di culturally different, racially different, um, economically diverse. You know, we try to build real honest relationships with people that, that aren't like us and that that helps give all of us me included uh, a, a better a more appropriate view of the world and, and my place in it um yeah um susan and john you're hearing us talk about raising children and i wonder if over the course of your years if you could share with us how your relationship and approach to money and stewardship in the church has transformed or changed over, over time and what advice you might give your younger selves that you weren't aware of back then that you know now. Okay, and this is Susan. I was just gonna back up just a second. Um, something that helped me when I was a little child to get used to giving to church was that when we were little, it was very common that you, you took a dime or a penny or a quarter to church and put it in the offering plate when you were a tiny little seven-year-old and you did it every Sunday. And yeah. I thought that was really good. Um, and the other thing um, in terms of raising children, um, we are trying to read every week to our grandchildren online. And one thing I've been trying to do recently is I'm, I'm the one who goes and picks the books at the library. Um, we are trying to have more diverse um characters in the books and um last week we read a book um that showed that a family had had their house burned down and they needed a new chair for the living room and they had to save for it it wasn't like you just ran down to the store and plunked down your money and you had you know new furniture so um our grandchildren i'm not sure where it's going to go for them because they live in pretty prosperous families so um and and through the years do you want to say anything about that john how our, how our perspective on money giving has changed through the years? Well, I just think, uh, this is John Lemon. Um, I've just realized more and more the importance of it and the centrality of aligning your um, 
finances, with your faith. Um, um, and, and like Andy, I've, I've been involved in mission um, at the church um, really since we joined. And so, um, as Andy said, mission is such a, a key part of who we are as a congregation. And um, it, it just just makes me realize um, just how important it is and, and, and just sort of the, the regularity and the predictability of it. It really, really resonated to me what Gazelle said. I'm really a creature of habit and I really believe in good habits. Um, and to me, that's so much of what giving to the church is. It, it, it's, a, it's an annual habit that you renew each year. Um, and it's, it, it goes to responsibility and expectation too, because it's, it's, um, you're, you're doing something as part of a body of Christ. Um, this isn't something you're doing just as an individual. You're, you're, it's a community effort. And that's where it's so important that we all, um, you know, take it so, uh, hold it in our hearts and in our minds and uh, make it something that's important for our entire family. Yeah. Uh, hey, go ahead, Andy. Hey, it's Andy. I was just going to brag on Gazelle a little bit. Um, so we, we do give our kids an allowance. We also, at Gazelle's encouragement, um, ask them to go out and earn some money on their own. So they have, you know, I'd say ownership and they tie it to effort. And it's not just something that shows up uh, when you ask for it. It's tied back to work you put in to earn it. And then um, we encourage slash require them to give some of it back to in some way back to the community. So whether it's through a nonprofit, uh, but also tying it to, to their time and, and effort. So ma help make a meal, help go to, you know, roof above and um, do some service in the community, buy a gift for a family in need for the holidays and, you know, spend some time with them too. Cause I, I do think part of this is important to tie your, your money back to the outcome. And it's hard, I think sometimes, especially when you're a kid, even as an adult to see it go to an organization and you're just not really sure what happened. Right. And you, you read reports or you look at uh, updates and you're like, oh, I guess that made a difference, but it's very different than sitting down and having a meal and hearing someone's story or seeing, you know, uh, when you deliver presents, what, what the home life really is um, and what holidays, how big a difference your, you know, small effort makes in, in changing the outcome for that person or that family. So I do think it is, you know, part of making money tied to your values. It, it, the church gives great opportunities, in my opinion, for people that want to show their kids what, what impact they're really having and, and just how close they are to some of their neighbors that it's helping. They're not, you know, strangers on a website. They're not a number or a statistic. It's building, like you said, a, a human connection with someone and seeing the difference you're making, both in your monetary donation, but also your time and your talent. Yeah. And I, and I do think that one of the things that becomes so important. It is this idea of talking about and seeing how much more, and I love Lori, what you're talking about building these relationships, because I do think like there's so much more that we have in common and that we're connected by and that we can 
really, you know, kind of see eye to eye about. And I think a lot of times with giving, it becomes a little more about um, circumstances and situations and, you know, kind of the, the have or have not mentality. And, and I really think we kind of have to try to get further away from that and kind of talk more about kind of more of the commonalities and the human experience and how, um, you know, there, and I think that's also where we feel the most close to God is when we can kind of have that moment of recognizing how there is that um, commonality amongst us. And that does take you kind of getting out of your comfort zone sometimes around how you want to share your resources um, because it's kind of doing it in the context of um, communion and not necessarily on this, um, you know, what makes us different mentality. I have a dream for Selwyn that, you know, Monk Elementary School children and Selwyn Elementary School children um, go to two elementary schools that are about five miles apart from each other and Selwyn Avenue Presbyterian Church is right in between them. And they all attend the same middle school. They all go to AG together. And my dream is for us to be in community together in, in, in real ways, you know, to challenge um, our church to think about what a, a child development center would look like for both communities, what tutoring resources would look like for both communities so that we really are in relationship with each other. That's a dream I have, you know, and it stems from Selwyn Avenue's commitment to baptism, which is a central sacrament that we express in many different ways. You know, from our font, which is central to our worship every Sunday, we make these promises to anyone who's baptized there and all children. And so everything we've been talking about in terms of stewardship and our mission, uh, a lot of it does really reflect back on the generational approach to how we engage and embrace children in faithful ways. And that's true when I hear John and Susan talk about their grandchildren or the way they engage in mission versus how Jamie's youngest daughter, Annie, was baptized on the lawn last Sunday in the middle of a pandemic. So this conversation about stewardship is a part of, you know, is a part of all of that. And with just a few minutes left, I wonder what your hope is for Selwyn as we look ahead to 2021. You know, what will it be like for us to get through this stewardship season and then regather? You may not have an answer for that, but I'd be curious. Uh, well, this is Andy, I'll open up since I'm part of the committee that's writing letters and messages trying to mot motivate people. But I hope one message they pick up is, is this feeling of optimism because this year has been so tough and it's been so much focus on risk avoidance and worst case outcomes. And I just think it puts people in a mindset of like, I've just got to conserve my resources because you never know what's going to happen next. And I'm not saying the situation um, has cured itself by any stretch, but I, I hope that people after um, somewhat adopting to the new normal can find a place to shift to a, a thinking about how to make it better and, and be optimistic about what stewardship can do uh, when it comes to the church, when it comes to impacting their life. I mean, I think this focus on kids is great. I mean, it's, it's a great question to ask of parents, which is how do you teach your kids the value of money and 
and what's the importance of stewardship to them? Because I think it forces the parents to figure it out for themselves first. And I, I think about it the same way, you know, what, what kind of um, 2021 are you hoping for and, and how can stewardship help you achieve what we'd like to see happen, you know, for the next year for the church and, and set the church up for long-term success. So I know that's probably overly optimistic, but uh, I hope that's uh, a message that resonates with people. I'll, I'll jump in. This is Jamie. Um, Andy, I think that was a, that was a great kind of recap of, of what the campaign is about. And, you know, JD and I were talking about just the upcoming year and, you know, it's, it's been a challenging year for everyone on certain times. Um, I switched jobs last year. He switched jobs last year. It was not ideal timing, but here we are. And, you know, we were talking about our commitment for the upcoming year. And I think, um, giving to the church, it's, it's a spiritual discipline, right? You know, Jesus asks us to do really hard things. He asks us to love our neighbors as ourselves, treat others the way you want to be treated. And in, you know, in the new Testament, as Lori said last week, he talks about money a lot and money is, is part of our, our Christian faith and, and giving back to God's kingdom is part of our Christian faith. So all that to say, you know, we really have tried to make the commitment every year to, pledge, which is, is hard for families to do at any age, but it, it's important because it allows our church and the people who are closest to it, like Lori and the rest of the staff, to really think and plan for how we're going to use those resources for the upcoming year, not just for all the co that our congregation provides for us, but for the, the mission work we do in our community. And, and I think letting, letting them know and thinking about that and thinking about what your pledge will be really helps us plan creatively. Um, so that um, JD and I had talked and I think we're really committed to increasing our pledge every year, even if it's not by a lot, um, we're gonna do that. And, and we believe that, that is, that's part of our faith and part of what we can do for, for Selwyn and for God's kingdom in our community. Uh, this is John Lemon. I think we have lots of reason to be optimistic in our congregation. I think we have a wonderful staff, a wonderful just group of members within the church. And, and I've seen it again and again this year, you know, it, it, whenever members, you know, when something is going on in a member's life, I see people really rallying around that member again and again. Um, and I just think our church has a vision and relationship to our community that can become um, contagious. <laughs> and I think in a really good way. And, and I think we just have a lot to offer to our members and to the broader community. I think more and more as people see what, uh, what we're excited about, I think we're gonna find more and more people within the community who want to be a part of that. And I think we're already seeing uh, um, an interest within our congregation in things that are deeper than maybe what people have been thinking about a couple of years ago. I think people are you know, more focused on what's really important in life. And I think that ties in very well with what our church is all about and makes me feel very optimistic for our future stewardship and for the general future of our congregation. Yeah, I hope so, John. And I'm grateful for all of your honesty and your willingness to be here. I, I've been thinking about the Beatitudes because that's 
what I'm preaching on on Sunday and this notion of, of blessing. And I recently heard Jan, uh, Jan Richardson, um, who is a pastor and artist, say something about a blessing is, is God's desire for wholeness in our empty places. You know, God's grace, God's abundant grace filling up the emptiness in our lives in unexpected but ordinary ways. And so that's my, that's my hope for all of you all and, and for Selwyn that God's abundance will, will fill all the empty places um, in our world and in, in your lives and in, in the lives of the people we care about um, at Montclair and Roof Above. Because um, there's a lot of empty places right now. But, you know, I do think I do think God will fill them up and is constantly showing up in those places in unexpected ways. So thanks for being here. And if you're listening to this and you have questions about money and stewardship or Selwyn Avenue in general, because you have fallen in love with these three households who are here, here with me, um, then be in touch with us and I'll be glad to share more with you. Be well and, and go in peace.